I've planned for you all to have an excellent dinner this evening. And then we're going to have a surprise. Oh, Grandfather, it's Marty Grun. I was rather hoping you'd know of some nice young man. But we're going to have a party here, Paula. We're going to have a marvelous time. And I've arranged for all of us to wear masks. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And we hope you enjoyed our conversation last week about what's in the box, um, more so than the episode What's in the Box. Uh, I enjoyed seeing um, someone fall off a window twice, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, enough about that. Like, I, There's no, no window falling this week to my knowledge. Yeah, and no one's screaming, yonkers, yonkers, yonkers in your face. <laughs> It's, I, I like to imagine that uh, Jason Foster, this episode, would go up to her and be like, I have this. Oh, never mind. Like, I, you're good. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> That's me being mean. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, this episode is um, actually, let, 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 we're talking about season five, episode episode 25, The Masks. Uh, before we get into this, though, uh, Terry, uh, you know, you, you've been uh, out uh, gallivanting again in the podcast scene. Yeah, um, I was just recently on the the podcast at the Devil's Ball. Um, friends of the show, Nathaniel and Samuel, um, they had us on, or had me on, and it was a good fun. We had a kind of big conversation about Blade Runner, the immortal classic. All seven versions of it. Yeah, well, we kind of mentioned all seven. There, versions. there are seven versions yeah. of it, right? Yeah, that's okay. That's I was like, I think I know that because um, I know at one point. And this isn't the show. Go listen to At the Devil's Ball talking about Blade Runner. They put out a seven like Blu-ray set that came in um, like a case that had all each of the cuts. I love the movie. It's one of my favorites. I don't know if I need seven of them. I I, I still want to check it out. Nathaniel has it. Oh, so, nice. Oh, not not Nathaniel. I'm sorry. Samuel has it. Um, I do want to check that out. It looks it looks pretty badass. Does he uh, does he fondle his artificial snake that he bought as well? His replicate snake that goes with it. I don't know. I would <laughs> <laughs> enhance. All right. So yeah, go check that out. Um, and then as you listen to it, you know, like you know, you'll have your your tears in the rain. Um, I don't know. I got nothing. You're just be like Rucker Hauer looking up at the sky as you listen to Terry talk about Blade Runner. You're at least a dove be amazing so yeah uh, all right go check that out uh this episode's the masks like i mentioned uh season five episode 25 air date march 20th 1964 number one film the pink panther so that's fun i've not actually seen any of the, these films i should by now uh but i think when i was growing up that i didn't understand the difference between the cartoon and the movies so anytime the movies would be like on i'd see the little animated intro and be like neat and then i would not care about the movie right uh, if you'd seen those or not yeah, I was uh, I was a kid when those came out. So when it wasn't really the actual Pink Panther, I was like, well, I'm not interested in this. No, you're talking br- like the Steve Martin ones. Is that what you're talking about? Any yeah, of them? Yeah. Like I'm like, well, because the original, um, it was just 
some British guy. I was like, well, that's not the Pink Panther. <laughs> yeah, right. Because yeah. <laughs> I think Pink Panther was the name of like the gym, right? That was the whole thing to start the the actual gym. I I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I have so. no idea. That's all. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Uh, like I was like, hey, did you know there's seven different versions of Blade Runner? And I'm like, the Pink Panther might be because of a pink rock. I have no idea. So I just whatever. Did you know there's eight different versions of the Pink Panther? That's not true. Uh, number one song, I want to hold your hand by the Beatles. Um, that doesn't surprise anybody uh, that it's still there and the Beatlemania is still uh, full swing here. Uh, what I have for day and date actually is the day before. So March 19th, uh, Jerry Mock, a 38-year-old housewife in Columbus, Ohio, departed from that city's airport on her quest to become the first woman to fly solo around the world. Um, what was it? Uh, two days after Joan Miriam Smith had departed on the same venture. Uh, so for the next 29 days, readers of the newspapers worldwide would follow the progress of both the women to see who complete the task first. Um, the Miss Smith's two-day start was offset by engine trouble uh, that delayed her for a week. And then uh, ultimately, Jerry Mock would complete the cir- circumnavigation of the world first, landing her spirit of Columbus April 17th at 9.36 in the evening in Columbus after a journey of 22,000 plus miles and 21 stops. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty cool. And then also Miss Smith, who, um, you know, had that head start, but had engine trouble, she would actually end up, uh, finishing second and obviously in that competition, but also being the second woman to circumnavigate the world. Yeah. Go Ohio and go, uh, go Jerry mock, uh, good for her for being an Ohioan too. And doing that, uh, that was the only uh, day and date stuff I had, but I was pretty excited about that. No, that's a fun one. And I think, um, I think drunk history actually covered that story too. I don't know how much drunk history you've watched. I enjoy that show. Uh, it's hit or miss with who's presenting. I get because they're drunk. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have tried to watch it with my wife, and uh, it, it it can get old real quick. Yeah, but they, <laughs> did, they did one of those, and uh, I think they covered this actual thing. So it was a lot of fun for them to uh, you know add their own a little bit of details to it. Um, I do like like the the whole thing here mentioning it was a thirty year old housewife. It's like I, so I didn't read more into this. Maybe I should have. But it's like was she just like you know what raising kids and and all this like. Uh, that's that's not for me. I want to fly around the world and get it. Like it's like you know you realize you're gonna come right back to your kids. And be like oh damn it. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, she made the trip. Good for her. Um, I just like that's that's a great like record to set. Like now you look on the internet where it's like someone put 18 ping pong balls in their mouth. It's like there's no grand records anymore. <laughs> you know? Like I was the first person to eat all the gummy bears. I don't know. Yeah, the entry level to get on the news for something is very low now. The bar is set real low by people that. Like that, the ping pong ball yeah, thing. Like, <laughs> I've eaten seven Tide Pods. That's not a record you want to have. So, yeah, whatever. Um, so, so there you go. That, that's all I got for day and date. And you said that's what you found as well. So let's just get into our cast and crew here. Okay, here. Our director is, uh, and this is interesting that you brought up the the, the first woman stuff. Um, so Ida uh, Lupino. Lupino, yeah. Um, she, uh, this is her um, only directorial for um, uh, Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And she was the only woman to direct an episode of the original series. That's correct. Yeah, and she so, also yeah. appeared in uh, one of the episodes of 16 Millimeter Shrine. Uh, she acted in that. So she was the only person to do both star in an episode and direct one as well. Mm-hmm. In the 16 Millimeter Shrine is actually a really, really good early uh, season one episode where she plays an aging actress that's like stuck in her like mansion and just wants to watch her old films. And then every role given to her now is like of a mother and she's like pissed at it. And, uh, Martin, I think Martin Balsam is in that as well. Um, but it's a really good episode. Uh, so the crazy thing about her 
is that she actually went on to do a lot of film directing and a lot of TV directing. Um, and she, uh, there was a quote I had somewhere about how she actually preferred directing because like, she's like, you could be in a bad mood in the morning and still do your job and not have to smile in front of the camera. It's like, okay, I get that. Uh, but there was, she kind of, uh, there was a, a project they were working on. There was a, a collective that her and her husband and a, another person did called them. There was called the filmmakers. That was like the name of their company. And they wanted to do like smaller budget things that kind of dealt with issues. And I'm not sure if the first project that she actually um, got uncredited directing work on, what happened was the director had an issue or got ill. So she got pushed into the role and she didn't take credit for it. But after that, she went on to direct a number of things. Uh, the one that this is most interesting to me was in 53. She did a film called The Hitchhiker um, that is the like the only film noir um, that was directed by a woman and like uh, in that period. And it was an early example of a film noir. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, good, good on her, man. And I, I, I think she did a terrific job with this. And uh, like you said, the 60 millimeter shrine, she's wonderful in that as well. Um, yeah. So big kudos to her for doing, doing all that stuff you know being the first woman to direct a episode of twilight zone too that's awesome yeah and there was even um what was it i think the producer for this uh brett garnett talked about how she'd have an eye for keeping everything like on 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 um track where she was also one of the first people to really like have everything sketched out what she wanted for setups and scenes coming in that not a lot of people did that so that would kind of like waste time so but at one point she actually twisted her ankle in one production and stayed standing up because she knew that if she would like slow down, that would like cost a day of shooting. So like she had the numbers in her head. And even though she like really wrecked her ankle, she's like, we're going to keep moving on with this. Uh, but yeah, I think she's a really interesting person and she didn't take no for an answer and, and did things her way, which is very important. Um, and with her doing this, this paved the way for others to do it as well. So I was excited knowing after looking at the 16 millimeter shrine that we'd see her again, it just took me five years, you know, but I was excited. I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember Ida Lupino. So this is, this is really cool. She also directed two episodes of Gilligan's Island. I mean, for whatever reason. And there's that film in the seventies, like the devil's reign. Do you, uh, do you know what that film is? Here? I'll read, I'll read a, the, I'll read isn't that with uh, Bill Shatner? No, that is, um, I thought that was, I thought that was the Esperanto film as well. I don't think that's the, that film. However, it's from 75. Um, let's see here. It has, uh, Ernest Borgnine in it. So already a plus here is what the IMDb says. A Satanist cult leader is burned alive by the local church. He vows to come back to hunt down and enslave every descendant of the congregation by the power of the book of the blood contracts in which they sold their souls to the devil. I'm in. I think we're going to watch this for this show at some point. Yeah, it, it, Bill Shatner's in this. William Shatner. Oh, know. is this? Okay. And uh, Tom Skerritt. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty good cast, man. I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked about this one. Yeah, it's one of those ones I always see like on like the boutique tables where we go to conventions, and I'm like, huh. But yeah, I, I we need to see this. So all right, that's what that's all I'm going to say about Ida Lupino for now. Okay, so uh, next here we have our writer as Rod Serling. He's never back. heard of him. No, <laughs> yeah, he's coming back again, man. Um, and uh, so as far as uh, the credits I have found for like how many more he's going to write this season. Um, he has five more writing credits okay. later on. So we'll we'll talk about him again. But uh, it's always a pleasure to see Rod back in the writing chair. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I don't think there's much more we have to say about him. But, no, but we'll get there. I mean, yeah. we have I, I have thoughts about this episode, too. But of course, yeah. we'll get there when we get there. All right. So into our cast, uh, we got Robert Keith. He plays Jason Foster. 
Uh, this is his last role. He passed away about two years later, just a little less than two years later. Um, he was in Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. I don't really have too many more notes on him, but do you? No. Um, so he was also in Guys and Dolls. Uh, he actually kind of hit his stride in like the 1950s. Like he's, he did work for a while before that, but some people just end up kind of like finding their niche later, right? So, uh, but yeah, this was his last role. So it's a little ironic considering um, the nature of the story. Very true. Uh, so next here we have uh, Milton uh sells seltzer yeah seltzer um he plays wilfred harper uh one other episode of the twilight zone and that was hocus pocus hocus pocus and frisbee we'll just leave it at that Mm. um and then uh some playhouse 90 episode and then 65 episodes of valley of the dolls yeah, that's. You know, I I kind of had some PTSD when I saw Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, so I didn't actually go further than that. I'm sorry. So uh, next we have Virginia Gregg. She plays Emily Harper. Uh, one other episode of Twilight Zone, and that is Jezebel. That cat was a witch. And then uh, she was the uh, the. We talked about her briefly during that episode, but um. So again, she was the voice of Norma, uh, in Psycho. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny Midnight and Hawaiian Eye. And I just, I think I had this quote the last time we talked about this. Um, uh, She said, I work steadily, but I have no uh, identity. And then she added, when casting people have a call for a woman who looks like the wrath of God, I'm notified. I just, that's a great quote. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Next, we have Brooke Hayward. Um, She plays Paula Harper. Alfred Hitchcock Hour, and that's pretty much all I have for her. Yeah, she was married to Dennis Hopper from 61 69, too. Like, she, her, she didn't have um, much like screen acting. She did some theater stuff. She wrote a a book that was like about her upbringing and her family that actually did very well because there's like, it's not, I don't know if it was salacious or like, you know, full of controversy, but she had a complicated like family background. And, but also, I'm sure being married to Dennis Hopper during that time, I don't know. Like, Probably a little weird. I would imagine so. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was definitely very weird back then. <laughs> yeah. So um, next we have Alan Sues. Uh, he plays Wilford Harper Jr. Ninety nine episodes of Laughing. Yeah, that's what I got. Like I couldn't. Um, I was trying to find other things that he. I mean, he's obviously done other work, uh, but. Uh, you grew up in an older household. How did how, did you watch any Laughing? Oh yeah, sock it to me, baby. Yeah, like was it actually funny? I remember it being kind of funny back then, but yeah. we're talking about seventies humor. It was yeah. hit or miss. Like I just, there was the there was the the Nazi that'd be like, or the like the German soldier was like, that's stupid. I know that, right? But uh, and I know Richard Nixon was on it. So for what it's worth, it just that feels like a very specific type of like comedy that just it it was there and it was gone just as fast, right? So, whew, yeah, ninety nine episodes though. But the way TV worked then, that was probably what two seasons. <laughs> Like <laughs> two or three seasons of laughing. Probably sure. about that. Yeah. yeah. So um, next we have uh, Willis Boucher. Oh, I, I think it's Boucher. Boucher. It's like, like Bobby Boucher. Okay. And then uh, he plays Dr. Samuel Thorne. Uh, he was in the uh, science fiction film Them. Uh, and then 23 episodes of Perry Mason. And also two episodes of The Munsters. I yes. just want to mention that. And in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is a great little film. Okay. And then... Uh, um, uh, Maddie Norman, uh, she plays the maid in this. Uh, it's kind of disappointing that she didn't have a official name in this. Yeah, right. uh, she was in Halloween three 
and then an episode of The Incredible Hulk. And I have uh, an episode of uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, which is that's a blind spot for me in terms of uh, kind of semi-quasi anthology. TV. I have to check that out, man. That one keeps on coming up. That's the dad from uh, Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's it feels like the the X Files owes a lot to Kolchak, you know, and. I've just that's a blind spot for me. So yeah. who knows? Maybe that's something we can dig into too. I think El Goro has definitely uh, put that out there. Oh no, he's a big watch. Yeah, big 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 fan. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. so and uh, our last credit here is uh, Bill Walker. Uh, he plays Jeffrey. Uh, he was in To Kill a Mockingbird, and uh, he did some voice work uh, on The Wiz. Yeah, he was in The Wiz, and he was off in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. So there we go. Um, and I, I I'm sure I, like, I, it feels like the special effects work in this was William Tuttle. Uh, who's done a lot of the makeup effects for the Twilight Zone? Because uh, I, I, he did, um, he did the 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 makeup effects for Eye of the Beholder, um, which I mean, if you look at what happens at the end, which we'll talk about, I think one of one of the people, I think it's a nod to Eye of the Beholder. You're right. William okay. Tuttle did yeah. the makeup for this. So, so there we go. And he's he's a we. I, I don't I don't talk enough about his makeup work because I'm a, a hack and a fraud. But like William Tuttle, like. When you think of the Twilight Zone, he should be up there on that thing, that Mount Rushmore of making it look the way we know it to look. Yeah, he has definitely a certain style to his uh, sculpting and that. That too, yeah. But it's like you just it's 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 the Twilight Zone. It's William Tuttle, right? So we gotta gotta recognize it when it shows up. So yeah, that's that's it for uh, cast and crew. Let uh, Mr. Schilling take it away, Mr. Jason Foster, a tired ancient who on this particular Mardi Gras evening will leave the earth. But before departing, he has some things to do, some services to perform, some debts to pay, and some justice to mete out. This is New Orleans Mardi Gras time. It is also the Twilight Zone. I just wish Rodwood had some beats on or something like, like, you know, or as he's like giving the intro, like a pair of beats just get thrown at him. Like that would have been amazing. I would have loved one it. of those gesture hats or gesture <laughs> yeah. hats, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he has like the masquerade mask on. He's like, you know, but like still wearing the shirt and tie underneath, like below. Like that would be, that would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, anyway, so uh, this is like, I, this episode is like, it's um, the plot isn't the, it, there's a lot of dialogue because it's a, it's a Sterling episode, right? So it's very dialogue heavy. So in terms of plot beats, um, you know, I always say this, like, where do we begin? Then we spend 45 minutes getting into it. But this is one of those ones that's like, there's a lot of good dialogue work, but the story runs along pretty quickly. Yeah, you're, you're completely right about the dialogue. I mean, Jason has a way of insulting people. He is a very he's a very intelligent dude. He he's been around he's been around a, a lot of problems, and he's suffered through a lot. You can tell this dude has just been like people are waiting on him to die, and it is just kind of like he's been run through the ringer. Um, but he has money. He's a he's an affluent dude, and he lives in New Orleans. Yeah, evidently in the, the right right beside like um, Bourbon, Bourbon Street. Street. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like maybe well, that's maybe that's why he's lived such a hard life you know, <laughs> every year. Like just yeah, every every year, and it's just like we got to move. It's like well, I'm sorry, you're here, sir. You know, like you own this plot, and like you know, <laughs> um, like you think he at least rent out the balconies, right, or whatever. Um, but no, like yeah, he's he's a he's a rich man. He's an affluent man. He's he's dying. Um, I, he is rough around the edges for sure, but I think he's like the opposite of like Uncle Simon, which is another Sterling script where there is punishment and there's punishment to you know, uh, you know, to the, the the younger generation. However, I feel like 
he, um, not that I'm saying he ever, ever felt like, I, I think that he has seen what happens going along enough to be like, what's about to happen. I need to, I need to wrong some rights as opposed to him just being a mean, bitter old man. I think he has been sour, but the relationship he has with the doctor, uh, cause he's like, well, why don't you say something nice? The doctor's like the first time I tried to say something nice to you, you threw a shoe at me or whatever he said. He was like, yeah. And he's like, I forget what he said to him, but he, he gave him like a backhanded compliment and the doctor smiled. This is the, like, the, they're friendly and he knows the relationship. But I thought that was actually a warm moment with like sarcastic cutting dialogue on purpose. Also, he's at death door. Like, I think the doctor would also be like, I need you to still be that cranky old son of a bitch. Like you don't, don't go changing on me now, you know, type of thing. Right. And you know, it's, it, it probably will keep him alive a little bit more because he has piss and vinegar <laughs> running through his veins now. Yeah. Um, but there was a really nice cut before we got to the doctor, uh, talking to, um, uh, to Jason where it's the maid and Jeffrey, who is the house attendant. Uh, they're in the foyer and, uh, also credit to Ida Lupino. Like there's some nice, like movements of the camera. This could have been a very static, uh, like on rails or not even on rails, but like just a static like thing, right? It could have been easily shot for TV, but she brought some dynamic camera movements in. There's a nice moment of whenever the maid says to Jeffrey, like all the family's coming and then she's arranging flowers and it's this nice cut of her, like arranging these, you know, fresh cut, the vibrant flowers that are alive, to the doctor, it's a cross cut to him uh, taking Jason's pulse and he's on his way out. He's withering. That's kind of, it's like, it's one of those nice movements of like, it tells you a lot without saying a word. And I appreciate that. And, and that conversation between the maid and Jeffrey uh, explains a little bit more about the family situation and what we're going to experience throughout the rest of this episode. Yeah. So we find out that there is going to be, there's going to be a gathering. Um, Jason's family is coming in to visit. And it is going to be Mardi Gras. It is during Mardi Gras time. And uh, but the the overall mood about the family seems to be of a negative one. Yeah, and well, even with the doctor being like, "Dude, I don't know how long you got." He's like, "It could be moments." Uh, and then Jason's like, "Well, like I need to basically like I need to make it to midnight." He's like, "I had you know, I, there's like a couple things I got to do." And then and then I like how he tells the doctor, "He's like, I'll see you tomorrow." And the doctor's like, "Yeah, if God willing." And it's like he wasn't wrong about that. <laughs> But, but yeah, he's just like, basically like, like you talk about piss and vinegar. It's like, it's just almost, um, it's like all those other movies we see where it's like, like someone needs to finish the thing they're going to do. And then they just collapse. Like, this is him. Like, this is, you know, he's like, I got to stay awake till I got to stay alive till midnight. It's like, I got family coming. I got things I got to do. Yeah. He's like the John wick right now. Like things he's been left for dead. But they killed his dog. Yeah. And just like, I got, I got to take care of those Russians that, uh, you know, they also stole my car. Uh, so, so yeah, then that's when the family comes in and it's like, I just, you, you get the idea that like Serling is like, he has been around entitled rich people like way too much. And especially living out in Hollywood at the time, I'm sure he sees like every, like it it probably just drives him nutty to see these type of people. And it's like, they come in and the daughter of Jason, um, what's her name? I, they're all Emily. uh, Yeah. Emily, how she's like, she puts upon like, um, the maid and Jeffrey of like to take care of their, I'm sorry. No, that was Paula. Emily is the wife. Yeah. Sorry. Um, the, 
Yeah. No, what Paula, no, she's the daughter, right? Paula's the daughter or is Paula, Paula the actual Paula's daughter? The daughter. Yeah. Emily is the actual daughter of Jason of Jason. Yes. Yeah. That's I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm, all right. Yeah. There's two daughters. It's too many, it's too many white people names. I can't handle all this. Um, so, so yeah, but Emily's like, you know, so put upon talking about how they, it was so tough to like, cause all oh, the Mardi Gras and all this. And then the doctor comes in and they're talking for a second. She's like, Oh, so good to see you doctor. And then she immediately shifts to like, can I have pills? Like, did you notice that? Like, oh, I'm so terribly inconvenienced. Can you give me drugs? He's like, I got other patients to deal with. Also, your dad's dying. I got this pain in my shoulder, this rotator cuff thing. And he's like, you can already see this mood in his eyes. Like, oh, of course, here we go, man. He's like, I got, I got things going on. Like, I'll see you later. Yeah, like, yeah. And then, of course, the she's like, you got that oxycotton. He's like, no, wrong decade. You know, yeah. Um. So he like he talks to uh her husband as he's heading out he's like oh how is the whole old boy he's like the old boy is dying yeah he sees through the bullshit of this family you know like like i mean how often do you deal with fake nice in your life i constantly yeah and it's like i hate fake nice where you can't you can't call people out on it but you just see it's like they don't give a shit but they're being polite and nice to you i just that guy exuded it and it's like he just wanted to punch him in the face right now it's 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 a, it's annoying, but um, you know here here we see uh, the family comes up. They come in and they check in on Jason. He he wakes up from like a little bit of a nap, and he sees they're all in his room, and they don't. I don't know. They just don't seem to care that much. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, as soon as Emily goes over to see her father, she gets closer to the bed, and he asks how she's doing, and she's like, "I'm I'm I'm bearing with I'm, I'm bearing up or something. Bearing, what the hell? Have you ever heard this? Before? No, no." He, He's he. She said it to the doctor as well. I don't know what the hell that means. That's some jargon that must be like I don't know, fifty years old. Um, but you know, of course, Jason sees through this BS because he's like, it's something again, huh? You know, like <laughs> what what is it this time? And you know, oh, you know, I'm I'm getting by, blah blah blah, and it's always something about her health. And I love this thing that Jason says to her. It's like, um. He says, what does he say? He says, like, you've been at death's door enough over the past, like, you know, your lifetime that I'm surprised you haven't worn a hole in the welcome mat. I know. And right. I was like, that's a great line. Like, I, but yeah, he just does. He, he, um, like just kind of like calls her out and she's like, she still is like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not what you think. And then he goes through and proceeds to like call the whole family out being very direct about everything. And it's like, you know, like I respect that. Cause like you talk about, he's a cranky old man, but it's like. Like, where's the lie? You know? So it's like, you're like, yeah, you're kind of an asshole, but I, you're not, you're not wrong. Right. You're like, you're less of an asshole than these assholes. You know, he's a lot more observant than they've probably given him credit for over the years. You know, like I have been paying attention to you guys. And, uh, like he even goes as far as to talk about, uh, Wilford Jr. And apparently the guy likes to hurt little animals. I was like, wow. I was like, this family is just filled with scumbags. Well, did you like how, like, whatever they, like, so Wilford, who, like, they talk about how he made, like, the football team or something. It's like, I don't know if he's in college, because if not, like, he failed a lot in high school. But, uh, like, how he was immediately sitting in his, his grandfather's wheelchair, just moving back and forth, like... That's not yours, like <laughs> you jerk. And then, and then the daughter, like um, em- Emily, right? No, um, not Emily. Uh, Paula. Paula. How like she can't even look at her grandfather. She's too busy looking in the mirror. He calls her out on that too, and it's like, yeah. And then, but like the the son in law, like it just, you, he's like, 
basically like, oh, yeah, how, how is, how's business going? Like, you've never read a book in your life. Like, just basically calling them all, like, you're all terrible people. <laughs> and they're like, oh, father. Like, like they're, they're still being fake nice. And they're like, they're playing, they're getting along to get along because they know he's going to be dead soon. And it's like, that, that sucks. But he's, you know, he has that clarity. He doesn't have anything to lose. So Jason's as calling as he sees it. it was, that was nice to see that kind of raw honesty because it gets flipped in a minute. Right. And it, there's a there's an amount of joy that he has in calling these guys out. So I don't know if maybe Jason has done it in the past or what, but he's definitely taking some uh, it's a, 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 taking this all within a, with a grin on his face. And and then he tells him, hey, I have a surprise for you guys. We're going to party here tonight. We're going to have dinner and we're going to we're going to have a party and we're all going to wear masks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude, this sounds great. Yeah. I, I was like, Rod Serling is going to get weird. This is cool. Um, yeah, I just mean considering that the maid would one day be in Halloween three. You know, like, do you think that's what got her the job for Halloween three? It's like, listen, I, you know, I, I know my shit about masks. You know, like, you know, <laughs> well, and the, and, the, and the one skull mask kind of looks like the a little it's a bit, pretty yeah. decent, yeah. like the same kind of sculpt. Yeah. So that's good. But um, yeah, did you like how like um the daughter the sorry, Paula was like, I wanted to go out like and then she says what's the you hear the audio beginning of our episode where it's like, if you do some nice minutes, like, yeah, this guy and then Death's Door's like, Hey, is there any hot guys that want to uh, you know, impregnate my granddaughter? Yeah, I will just put them on speed dial, it's fine. Like what? Also, considering that we see Mardi Gras going on full blown outside, like she could have just probably opened a window and dudes would have fell in. Like I don't like <laughs> Yeah, there's a hell of a time going on Jesus, out there. Jesus, like that was uh, that was really crazy and uh, kind of racist with some of the imagery that was going with some of the, the floats and things outside. It was weird stock footage, but still weird. Uh, anyway, but yeah, he promises them a night, a fine dinner. We're going to wear masks and the family's like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but I think almost, I feel like in watching this a second time, uh, had they actually shown like any like crumb of being better than they were or being genuine. Do you, do you think maybe he would have like called the thing off of and like, okay, well this is our last night. Like, you know, here's what's happening. I think it's just so ingrained into their behavior that they can't, they can't help but do it. And I mean, maybe if Emily would have pulled her whole family aside prior to them, even walking through the door and been like, don't be a bunch of assholes because yeah. he, this guy is going to be passing away soon and we want to get our money, right? Because yeah. that's that ultimately seems to be the groundwork that's being laid here, um, which we'll get to. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it, you at least would put on a mask before you well, come in. Well, there's even a bit too where he says to you know his daughter where he's like, Emily, he's like, he's like, he's like, I do hope you survive. And it's like the kind of like, you know, because she's always put upon and she's always the victim. And it's like, it could either be read as sarcasm or him being like, you know, I, you know, like, I do hope you make it out of this, which is him also being sarcastic, but he knows what's coming. But I'm just saying to you, like, let's say that like one of the kids would have shown like not to be a terrible person. Do you th think you'd have been like, no, you guys can go, but you three are staying here. We're going to have dinner and some mask wearing. Now from the way that Jason is, uh, paid such close attention to their, their upbringing and their behavior throughout these years. I don't think he would give them like he, that ship sailed like a while yeah. ago. That's fair. I think it, yeah. what's done is done at this point, especially the Wilford jr. With <laughs> hurting animals. So yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, all, like all his mom's like, he, you know, he doesn't do that anymore. He plays football. I'm like, great. Head trauma is going to help that notion. You know, <laughs> like, 
and he could never, his hair was never right. I just wanted to like, just put his, his part or whatever, like the little, it's like you, you son of a bitch, just fix your hair. You know, anyway, I didn't like that. Didn't like it. Yeah. I'm sure his mom dressed him that day too. Cause his, like his whole demeanor and like his behavior and everything, he just, he doesn't look like, he doesn't look like a kid, but he also doesn't act like an adult either. Yeah, that that's absolutely that's a great way to call that. So so yeah, that's uh they're gonna have a dinner with masks, you know, and that's when we find Mardi Gras. There's some dude beating a drum, like it's crazy outside, like crazy. I love the reveal of the masks though. Like Oh, that's true. Before that happens, I'm right, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on that. But yeah, he uh uh well this is He uh, tells everybody to go out and get ready for dinner, um that you know, it's gonna he's gonna get get everything together and then he tells Jeffrey to get out the masks which are in a little like cabinet at the it's foot like, of his it's bed. It's like the end table whatever it is at the end of the bed yeah like the cabinet like um, whatever you call that. It's not a hutch. I don't know what they call that. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, he opens it up and all all these five masks are sitting there and they're they're pretty kick ass looking. I, I like them. It's a fun sculpt on them. But uh I'm just like then to hear dum 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 dum, you know, like all the great uh Twilight Zone music. And then so the next scene here, we see that uh, Paula is looking out the window and seeing the chaos that is Mardi Gras. And she's just like, she's so pissed. She's so like envious of all these people outside having a good time. So she goes into this monologue, like how mad she is and how this is such a, a, it's so boring and how we have to sit here and wait for this old dude to die. Like really laying into this idea that they're there for one motivation. I'm so glad that uh, younger people today have found value in human experience and don't act like that anymore. Hmm. <laughs> you, you've been held up in this house too I, long, I dude. Feel, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, uh, like Terry's the third person I've seen. Uh, no, uh, no, I just feel like we could Photoshop like an iPhone in her hand and it would not be out. Like it would, she would fit right in, you know? Yeah, she, checking her her statuses, seeing yeah. how many likes she got on her tweets, or yeah, or would, however, like I don't know her MySpace, who her top ten friends, I don't know stuff about internet, but anyway, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, like she she would have been like constantly like posting about how bored she is, and then posting photos of the outside, and been like the you know uh, what was it what they call that FOMO, fear of missing out, like <laughs> it would be, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see that easily. And so now at this point, we're still hearing her rant in the, in which looks like, uh, the den and all of a sudden in the other room from the elevator appears Jason and Jeffrey and, uh, Jason doesn't look good. No, man. He he's slumped hit. over. Yeah. yeah. He looks like Mr. Burns. Yeah. He looks like he is about to probably go in that wheelchair and all of a sudden, both him and jo- Jeffrey kind of perk up because they can hear what Paul is saying in the other like room. Saying that we're on a death watch for like this, and it's like, yep. And so, if there was e- even like a sh- like a small grain of maybe my family is going to turn around, that evaporated right there. Like we talked about, like the ship sailing, but it's like you, I think as people, we always want to have that hope of like the like just show me something. It was like game on at that point. It's like, all right, well, I might be dying, but none of you are going to make it out of here too. Like, you know. Yeah, it, it's 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 really depressing because they all know what is inevitably going to happen here within the, the near future, and they still got to yeah, bitch show, and moan about it. Show some grace. Show yeah. some empathy. Like, I mean, again, that also say that would be short-lived and they'd be faking it, but, you know, this is his last moments on Earth. Like, you know, you could... You, he, He's he's owed more than that, you know. But anyway, like yeah, that would be I, I yeah, that would be terrible. That would be absolutely terrible. So um, so like I said, he perks up a little bit, and then when they come into the room, 
Um, he is uh, laying out the groundwork for the rest of the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he, he you know tells Jeffrey that he can go go ahead. He's going to take a care of the rest of the evening yeah, now. He likes Jeffrey. Jeffrey doesn't need to be anywhere around. No, right. We, well, we all love Jeffrey. Yeah. He doesn't need to be bear witness to like what he's about to do, which he again like rips into each one of these members of his family again with some really good dialogue. And um, he asks each one of them the to pick out a mask, but he's going to help them too. So he analyzes their behavior. Well, not their behavior, but their personalities. He's like, well, there's no way that you could be this person. So it's got to be this mask for you. Yeah. Cause he says the, he says the five masks are imbibed with certain properties and that there should be worn on only Mardi Gras and then worn until midnight when they're out the unmasking. Right. And he said that each one, uh, it's like the, as per this ritual or whatever the practice is, is that um, you pick the mask that is like the opposite of you. It's it's the projection of who you aren't. And that's why he goes through and it's like, it's like he talks to the, like the son-in-law and he's like, you know, well, it's like, you're a learned man and all this. And, he, and he's like, well, of course. I mean, he's like, oh yeah, I've, I've read book, you know, whatever he says. Um, and he's like, here, wear this one. And then he, he goes through and he does the exact opposite of what he does upstairs where he fluffs their ego. And even though they know he's being mean there, it's that fake nice thing of like, you can't call out, like there's that social structure, you know what I mean? And so he passes the masks out. So, yeah. So it, and he, uh, tells them to, uh, to put these masks on. They have to, they have to watch, uh, wear them for the rest of the night till midnight. And of course, nobody's down with this. Of course, the, the children are the first to be vocal about it. And so he's like, all right, the, the thing is though, you don't wear the mask. You get nothing, but, bus fare back home <laughs> yeah he's like you wear these masks to midnight you guys get everything i own like that's it the wills are made out right now yeah. essentially everything that i have all everything that i own uh, the money the, the the deeds all that stuff there's a robot in the basement that might become me later let's ignore that that's something else for later <laughs> it, just, it might sound like me eventually you know we'll want hot chocolate but that's a different story you know like <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I I'm bleeding over to Uncle Simon because it's it's not it's it's kind of similar, right? <laughs> like, yeah, there's a there's quite a bit of similarities yeah. here, but um, but yeah, so that's that's the that's the rub, you know. You gotta you gotta wear them until then, and you know it's upon that moment when he he lays out that stipulation that they're like. All right, I guess so. So they all put on their masks. Well, like the son-in-law is like, well, he's like, I just want, I don't want to disappoint your the old man. It's like, you son of a bitch, you know, like just yeah, you know, like the moment you sniff money and, and privilege, you're you're gonna bow down and and, the, and his daughter as well. And then yeah, like and the, yeah. So I don't know about you. They put the masks on, uh, and we get to like five minutes to midnight. Um, and they start talking about how unbearable it is and they can't stand to have this on. Does it feel extra weird to you now that we're coming out a year of this pandemic where it's these white privileged people saying they can't have a mask on even for five more minutes? It is kind of mirroring. But, <laughs> you know, well, even even prior to the CDC's like deadline and everything, people were like ripping them off already. Yeah. And like I, somebody was telling me the other day that there was going to be a mask burning. I was like. Are we for real about this? Yeah. A mask burning party. I'm like, 
can no. we be a little bit more sympathetic for why we were wearing these masks in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm keeping mine around because you just now now you'll never know. You want to be prepared, right? So I think mine look badass, so I'm going to keep fair it enough, well. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, I mine, mine's half of a Jason hockey mask. Why would I not want to keep that? It's a cool mask. Maybe that's my Halloween outfit this year. I don't know. But yeah, uh, I have ghosts and pumpkins and oh, yeah, shit on mine. So I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> Mine are just an extension of my of my right? personality. Yeah, it's anyway. Halloween every day, right? So, um, no, but I like how like the, his daughter was like, "Oh, it's unbearable. I can't have it on." It's like, yeah, you you're a Karen. Like you should be called Karen. But it just, I, it wasn't meant to to play this way. But I think Serling would have probably been like, "Huh, that makes sense to me," you know. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I heard the ice cream man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, ice cream man. I thought I thought Terry was darting around because he's like, is there a mask in here that I could put on? No. Um, <laughs> or, or did you want to go get ice cream? I'll wait. Like, like, I'll, I'll sit here and just like, I'll talk to people if you want to get ice cream. If I can do window service right here. If you <laughs> no. So, so yeah. So Terry but, goes jumping out the second story window to, to keep the streak alive to go get ice cream. Oh, I love ice cream. Um, so, <laughs> but like, it's just they're so close they don't care they're just like just give us give us this you know look have mercy on us we were mildly inconvenienced <laughs> it's excruciating yeah. now it's it's ripping my skin apart well the thing that gets me though is like i don't know what time it was when they put them on like because they had their dinner and everything right Yeah, you can't really see the yeah. clock in the background but once we're past that time period you can see clearly in the back that it's a Five to twelve. So it makes me wonder, like, this is when you're going to have the freak out. Is like when you're this close to the finish line. Like, but whatever. I, I get it's for the sake of the story. Um, I'll here's here's my hot take for this episode, Terry. Not that this needed to be more dialogue heavy. I almost feel like this could have been an interesting season four episode with a little bit more setup, where you'd have more of this ticking clock scenario of them being the fake nice and sitting and waiting. Like almost like a real like let, let the last half hour of the episode be the real time of this. Like that would have been really interesting to me. That would have given more time for everything to kind of sink in and let all the characters kind of really like get get just terrible. Yeah, it does. This episode does feel a little rushed, and and I think there is a lot more that you could develop. And I think there could have been some really interesting shots, maybe like showing them under the mask and maybe sweating really hard and like trying to get through it. But, yeah. you know, I, 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 you I, know. I mean, if there's one thing I'll say is that I feel like the first half was like, we get that what Jason was going for. I, I think there was a way you could have gotten to um, this part of the episode and let all this kind of fester longer. Cause I think the payoff would have been bigger. Um, so I'm stepping on the end of the episode. I apologize, but uh, I just think it's like five minutes to midnight. Now they're freaking out. <laughs> like I'm like, guys, you're right there. You you you're right there. But the, but that yeah. But I like uh, that he's like, yep, you know, this is what's going on, guys. And then all of a sudden he he because uh, he's wearing the mask of death. Because the whole thing is like it's you know I'm alive, and the the mask of death is the opposite of me. And this is what I'm facing down and whatever. But then he actually ends up saying he's like, I think you guys are getting what you want. And then as they're talking. He's like, all right. He's like, you like, I forget what was the line. He's like, and he's like, you win. Like, you got everything. Enjoy your, enjoy your riches or whatever. And he's like, and now you're incredibly wealthy. And that's it. He's yeah. out. I love that mask on him too. I just to, to take a, cool a step back. It, yeah. Like, I love how he's still somewhat able to emote out of it a little bit. His I mean, eye, the, the eyes do a good job because like all the actors at this point have to talk through their masks, which you could tell that was looped. Right. Um. I mean, after living with a year of masks, yes, that was that was really looped. Um. But like. The eyes, you had to see the eyes of everybody 
And they did a good job of showing that. And I love how gaunt uh, Jason is because it looks more like it is an extension, extension of, of him. him. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. The the nose hole of that skull mask is a little big, but whatever. Like, I don't, I don't know. Is that a, like a, a reindeer? I don't know. what. That is. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. So, um, so he, he drops his head uh, and Wilford uh, goes over to check his pulse and he confirms the fact that he is dead. Uh, Jason has died and. He's like, oh, oh, the old bastard, whatever he says. He's like, finally, finally, he's dead. F him. Like, yeah. it was a weird time to have an F bomb in the Twilight Zone, but that's right. what it should know. So, <laughs> and it's, uh, we're looking at the back of him uh, as his family closes in around Jason's uh, chair. And we see that Alfred, or Wilford, Wilford, not Alfred, whatever. Uh, he lifts up the mask, and then his family is just like, kind of they stagger back a bit to because they've like they can see his face and something has changed he says what 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 the hell's wrong you know and he looks into the mirror and he has taken on almost the exact same uh physical features of the mask exactly and so that's one that's when we get one by one everybody else does the exact same thing they uh take off the mask and they look so similar to what that mask was though i would argue that um the sun since he was already an animal, um, you know, abusing son of a gun, I don't think the face, like, I don't think it changed his outlook on life whatsoever. I think he's still <laughs> going to be a terrible person. He looked kind of like Dr. Giggles a little bit at that point. But, uh, and then, then the mom, she just looked older and more haggard. I think, I mean, I granted that she always pretended to be infirmed. So if, if you want a reason for people to feel bad for you, there you go. But the daughter, the daughter got hit with like the, like the brick, um, which is because it's her vanity. But that was the one that reminded me the closest to the pig face people from Eye of the Beholder, which was all about vanity and, and fitting in. So that's where I thought that was the nod to. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like I, we were talking about earlier, uh, Tuttle uh, has a very similar, uh, well, not very similar, but a very uh, certain style to his sculpts and that. And, and he did do the, the pig people episode. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you know what that episode looks like and you have not seen this one. Spoilers, pig people and Eye of the Beholder. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that also might've been the limitations of the material at the time too, you know, but he found a way to work with it and still make it look wrong. Yeah. You know? And like, it, it is jarring when you see, you know, I mean, cause yeah. I, I don't, I guess there is a little bit of like, well, I, well, I think this is what's going to happen. Uh, I was just waiting for somebody to slap him on the back, you know? And yeah. <laughs> oh, did you just make a one crazy summer reference where did, it's like yeah. your face is going to freeze like that? Like, yep. And that's the two exactly. little girls that keep on coming up later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, pig noses there. That's what you get for making fun of that dog in the cone. That's what you get. <laughs> I uh, love that movie. I do too. <laughs> so good. John Cusack in his heyday, man. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was it the Steve Savage, right? So Savage Steve Holland. That's uh, the guy that did. Yeah, anyway. But yeah, they, someone walked up. I was like, congratulations. You guys are all rich. Pat him on the back. And they are like, we're freaks now. You know, like, uh, so yeah, uh, they, they do get everything. And basically what Jason did was their their interior that he was aware of became their exterior for all the world to see um and then that and then the doctor you know comes back and like when they pull the mask off of jason his face is still the same but the doctor's like this must be what death looks like peaceful and all that but it's like yeah i mean sure but then you got the uggos and, and like the 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 foyer 
like just kind of waiting and they don't know what to do with each other. I know. I like how they're lined up too. And we get like a panning of yeah. each one of them. It's like sitting I, there all miserable. That, that's the spinoff that Rod never got. Cause it's just like, you know, the Uggo family. Um, cause he couldn't find a way to fit a guardian angel in there. Um, but like I, but the question I have to ask you, like now that we're 60 years past this and this is, this is not a knock against the episode, but they're, they're now like independently wealthy. I'm going to guess that, um, there's plenty of things they could do to be perfectly comfortable going forward. And cause they're already selfish people, you know, and it, and if they have enough money and they throw parties, it's only going to attract people that are superficial anyway. And they want to be there because of the power and the money anyway. So isn't that the same lives they already were wanting? Like it's not too far removed. I mean, the but, person that's going to suffer the most is Paula yeah, because the, she's, she wants to be adorned. Yeah. And I'm also going to say, I'm going to guess that there's probably some plastic surgery available at that point. Maybe. I mean, you know. all, uh, all Will Jr. has to do is put on a helmet and he's good, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, he could just, you know, I don't know. He could be a stunt double for Porky Pig at that point. It was just like, I, but I get the whole thing is like, you know, your outside ugly is now like visible for all to see. And Jason, like, it's not that he wins. It's just that he makes his point, you know? And I thought that was kind of a cool, kind of a cool ending. Um, so, so yeah, like, um, this isn't the first time that we've had this kind of like outside in or inside out type of like thing with the, the twilight zone. But I, I did like, you know, like Serling, you know, Serling likes to make his points and this was a fun one for him to come back to about the human condition. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'd be a lot kinder to people, especially when you know, they're going to pass away. Uh, there's definitely cautionary. Uh, and, and this was the better take on uncle, uncle Simon, meaning, they they still get punished, but I feel like Uncle Simon was just belligerent, like the way that story ended. Like, you know, like she was not great, but what she got was way worse, I think, in terms of her life. Yeah, this is a, a better uh, a, like story in comparison to that and how like you make people pay. And I, I don't know. Simon was a, a jerk in that. So <laughs> he was just a plain old Just an jerk. asshole, yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I agree with you. There's so much dialogue in this, and so it's so heavy in it. With it only being 22 minutes, you can get get through it pretty pretty easily. But if this was like a full length film, and this is how it dragged along, I, I think people would check out pretty quick. I mean, you need you're look looking for that payoff as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I just think that like um, I think what we're talking about how if you so if the mother pulled everybody aside and you're like, hey, you know, it's your it's your grandfather's last moments. Let's be nice. If that would have been like the huddle at the start of the episode, then he comes in and it's like, Hey everybody, this is what we're going to do. Like, and then get them in the masks where they're still trying to play nice. But then halfway through, they start breaking and not only start revealing themselves, but kind of going after each other. That would have been interesting to me. Right. And, and uh, this one definitely uh, benefits from the fact that it's a later episode in the twilight zone series. If this would have been the pilot episode, I don't think that it would have been as remembered Oh uh, no! Like in such a in such a, a, a bright light because this is a pretty popular episode, highly rated on IMDb. Well, considering where it falls in season five, I could see why. Like, if people are being completionist and watching this, like this almost is like a cure for what ails you. Where it's like, oh, like like not that like we're gonna we're gonna review season five when we get to the end of it, right? We're get, we're definitely in the home stretch. However, uh, the season's been a bit wobbly. That doesn't mean that the first four seasons weren't wobbly because there was moments with each of them. Right. But this one, it's like, it's almost like as much as I'm upset that I know we're coming to the end of the series, 
you can kind of see where it was starting to run out of gas at times. And it was, and, and just some of the different voices they're bringing in didn't quite get the tone of the twilight zone. But when Rod comes back in and writes it, he knows what he wants, whether or not he like, you know, he may not have as much control as he once did in terms of like producing the show, but this storyline would have felt perfectly at home in seasons one through three. You know, and it reminds you of what the Twilight Zone can be in terms of like a cool ending, creepy faces, um, like commentary, like it gives you a lot to chew on. And I appreciate that. Yeah, fun episode. I mean, I like to see people get their, you know, their their just desserts. Uh, And this feels like like a a Tales from the Crypt type of like punishment, you know, like and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, And and it worked out. And I like the masks a lot. there could have been some a little bit more spice thrown into this, but it, it was a good episode. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's almost like, man, wouldn't you have liked to have seen a updated take on this in like the the Jordan Peele? That like, would be kick ass. Oh yeah. my goodness, that'd have been because then like you know, hey, heard you guys like social commentary. Hold my beer, you know, like that would have been crazy great. You know, like I. I think this thing has legs and can be revisited and there could be a lot of fun to be had with it. Yeah, there's a there's a quite a bit of uh, episodes in this season in particular that with a little bit of sprucing up could be such a memorable episode today. Like we could we could have some really kick ass makeup and, uh, you know, some like good dialogue that comes to make this. I mean, just as memorable today. Instead of house flippers, we just go through and flip episodes. It's like, everybody, listen, here's the quote. Here's what we've got to do. Here's the money. Go slap some paint on. We're going to get some new furniture. We'll be good. Dude, I I wish we could do that with some of these episodes (laughs) because some of them suck so hard. But this this was not one of them. But no, 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 no. This episode was perfectly fine. I like like I'm glad that Shirley wrote this. Like I I'm so ever so thankful that like um, this wasn't like a Earl Hamner idea because who knows where that would have went. Can I just also say that I got to admit that. Um, and I want to say this before we get to the very last episode of the series, cause it's a Hamner one. Uh, the more I hear about this guy, the more I generally believe he was a nice dude. And he actually said that uh, he admitted to Serling's daughter. Uh, this is according to the book, uh, as I knew him, that his daughter wrote saying, um, certainly he said, Serling and I were always like, like we got along well. I just don't think I ever really told him how much I appreciate what he did for me. And he's like, and when I heard he was in the hospital, he's like, I was like, I'm going to call him tomorrow. And he didn't get the chance. So it's like, Hamner, don't make me care about you. Like, you know, but you know, so anyway, but like there's, there's an episode in season three called a piano in the house. That's kind of similar to this in the sense of this guy gets his player piano that has these scrolls that he puts them in and he targets people. Like you have to watch the episode. It's not great. Uh, but he gets them to like, like react certain ways and they kind of reveal things about themselves. And it's a Hamner episode. It is ham fisted as all get out, but it has the same sense of like wicked punishment that runs through it, but it's very tone deaf. Interesting. Um, so somehow this is a Sterling episode and I still shit on Hamner. I, that's my fault. I apologize for that. <laughs> he hurt you bad, man. The hunt. <laughs> uh, but you know, our direct- black leather jackets. Uh, uh. <laughs> but we got Jezebel. That's, I mean, that's true. So, and that's yeah. a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, our director on this one, Ida, I, I, Lupino, Lupino, yeah. Yeah. I, I wish we would have seen more of her work. Uh, I actually lo- really enjoyed, um, the direction of this episode. And I think she could have, she could have really, uh, made a name for herself throughout the rest of the series if she would have oh been. yeah and she like i mean considering that she was like uh in one of the first episodes of the series like i think she got it like it's one of those things where you can just see 
Like she knows what you need to do. She wanted to get things across specifically. She did a good job. Like, like you, you, this whole thing, like it's directed well. It's just, again, I, like I said, if there's any fault and again, I don't put that with like a very lowercase F. It's just that I feel like Serling overwrote it like in the sense of the dialogue. And I think you could have had some really interesting things. I mean, it could have still been dialogue heavy because it's basically like a bottle episode, right? Where you have everybody in a room, right? But I think the setup of the old man dying and then judging his family there moves some pieces around. I think this would be like a, like one of like the classic episodes of The Twilight Zone. But yeah. I'm not faulting Lupino. I, I think the direction's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. She took what she had and uh, she did a great job with it. And, you know, here we are, man. Like, uh, yeah. I, I don't have any more notes. Uh, how about you? Did you have? No, anything? I don't have the only trivia I got into was previously about her and how like her approach to the job. And we talked about it already. So, um, yeah, uh, she like, there's a lot of directors that aren't always aware of budget and she certainly was. So the producers loved her and that's why she probably got a lot of TV work. Uh, and a lot of like random, uh, not random, but like other movie stuff, because also to be, to be a, a woman doing these things at this time was unique. So for her to show that she was no nonsense, like, well, there was some kind of, there was a note about like, um, her, her chair as a director, it said like, um, mother to all or something like on the back of the chair of like basically being like, I'm going to take care of this for you guys, but you need to listen to me. And it was like, I get that. That's kind of cool. Like I really respect the hell out of her. Yeah. I, uh, and you know, just to be the first, finally in the fifth season, we, that's when we first get a woman director. That's kind of a bummer, but I mean, how many, how many women, like not that it's saying that there wasn't women that wanted the opportunity to do so and try to prove it in terms of like television. I can't, I don't know, you know, like this, like things are getting better now, right? It's still, it's still wildly lopsided. Right. But you know, we saw a number of uh, female directors in the, the the Jordan Peele stuff, which was exciting. It's good. I want I want different voices. I want different things, right? Because I'm tired of a bunch of white guys telling us how we should feel about stuff. So, no, this was great. And, and it's, I'm glad that it like turned out to be a good episode for her, too, because it didn't put her her um, her work on the series in a negative light. Yes. So but that's the best thing to take away from this. So yeah, that's a, that's what I got for for my notes. Um, let's just uh, rate that twist. Um, that an episode called "The Masks" that involved masks doing masked things. I'm going to give that a two. I'm going to give it a one. Honestly, yeah. I, could, I could see that, especially the way he was talking about that there was a, a the strike of midnight type of situation, mm-hmm. and something is going to happen. It, it was the writing was on the wall. Yeah, I mean, again, that, that just to let everybody know that our, our twist ratings went out of five in regards to the twist, not the episode itself. Uh, but sometimes the twist doesn't need to be, um, it doesn't, and not everything has to be like, Ooh, you know, whatever. So yeah, fun. Yeah. And I, there's definitely been some, uh, episodes that could uh, handle the material a lot worse than this. Uh, but it, it's not a reflection of that. And it's, you know, it, again, everything's laid out in front of you. It's called the masks. We know they're a bunch of scumbags and they're, you know, they put the masks on. Uh, so it is what it is, but yeah, great, great yeah, episode. It wasn't, it wasn't called like the dirt bag party. It's like, what's going on with this dirt bag party? I don't like, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, or puffy face mania. That would have been a, a terrible name for the episode. Uh, so yeah, let's go do it for our discussion about the masks. 
Uh, but before we talk about what we're covering next, you guys could find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. You can email us directly at strangehighways uh, at gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. And Terry, how can people find us otherwise? And yeah, we are on Instagram. So uh, come, come check us out over there. Uh, we're posting a lot of fun stuff. Trying to be in as as engaging as possible. Um, been a little busy lately, so I haven't been as uh, working on that as much. But uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, we uh, like Paul was saying, you can email us. Uh, please reach out to us. We've just recently had a listener reach out to us. That was really wonderful, and thank yeah, you for that. And we're going to respond because I was being terrible and I forgot about it because it was the holiday weekend. So that was on me. Yeah, uh, well, you know, holiday weekend, holiday fun. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it wasn't Mardi Gras, but you know. Whatever. But yeah, uh, so yeah, like Paul has always said in the past too. Please give us a rate, give us a review, tell your friends. I mean, we're we're not going to stop here either. Uh, we're going to keep on uh, making episodes after this f- fifth season is over. Uh, we would like for you guys to recommend some things that maybe you would love to see hear our insight on. Um, and uh, please, if you do have a chance, check out At the Devil's Ball, where I was just recently on there. Uh, had a lot of fun with those guys. Um, hope to have one or both of them on here to discuss something in the future. We're going to make them fight to the death to figure out which one comes on. Only, show, only one will enter. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll do uh, like in the dark night where you take the pool cue and break it in half and be like, you know, it's a, we're aggressively expanding our business, but there's only one of you that can I love that it. scene too. Yeah. Oh, that's, a good one. that's it. That's, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah. It's, it's, we're going to challenge them to a broken pool cue fight and one of them will be on the episode. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be uh, covering another important episode uh, for The Twilight Zone. And we'll get into the, to that when we get there. But it's called uh, I Am the Night, Color Me Black. And we'll let Serling out tease it. And now, Mr. Serling. Next time out on The Twilight Zone, we do a probe in depth into a current cancer known as hatred. And we tell you the story of a little Midwestern village which wakes up in a violent morning to discover that there is no morning, no light, no sun. Only a frightening and pervading darkness. It stars Michael Constantine and Paul Fix. And it's called I Am the Night. Color me black. So, yeah, we're going to have it's going to be a very serious episode of Strange Highways next week. I can, I can tell you that right now. So, um, so tune in for our, our after school special. It will be a very important talk. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, be nice to your family because they might uh, turn you into puffy faced monsters. I, I got nothing. Yeah, I got nothing either, man. Sorry. <laughs> Terry's going to go get some ice cream right now. Yes. I'm bearing up. Bearing up? You sound like Job itemizing his calamities. What's your illness this month, Emily?